appreciate that. We, um, the other night, Leah and Chris and I got to go to Greenville. I was thinking when, when uh, Keith was singing that song, What Child Is This? We went to Greenville, <coughs> they were lighting the Christmas lights at Bob Jones. Uh, and we went to, to participate in the activities going on there and to see the lights. If you've never been, you really ought to go to that event. It's quite, a, quite an experience. But before they lit all the Christmas lights, Dr. Pettit, who's the president there, he got up and, and shared just a, a short word with everybody. And at the end of it, he declared that, that we are doing what we do because Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. What a statement. There, there were thousands there. And they heard him declare, Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. If there ever was need for a message today uh, in the world in which we live, today is that day, isn't it? You know, I remember Paul uh, told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Tell the story of Jesus. Uh, tell the world what it means to follow Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did for us, and what he continues to do and will do for us throughout eternity. Do the work of an evangelist do the work of a missionary that's our task in the church now if we're going to tell the story we need to know the story right i mean we need to know the story above uh, above and well beyond just a superficial level for years i've had people uh, come to me uh, as long as i've been a pastor people come to me and they said well preacher i just don't know my bible as well as I should. And you know, the older we get, the less we're concerned about what people think about what we say, you know? And when somebody comes to me and they've been a member of the church all their lives, and they say, I just don't know my Bible, you know, the next words out of my mouth are probably gonna be, well, why not? You know, why not? You've been a Christian 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, why don't you know it, okay? And I'm not picking on y'all. This is going out over the internet. So I hope the whole world hears it. We ought to know what's in this book. And we ought to know it well enough to be able to tell it. And tell it accurately. And truthfully. Because the eternal destiny of the people we deal with is connected straight to what we declare from this book. It is what the Holy Spirit uses to draw people to God. What is contained within the pages of this book we call the Bible. And that's why it is so important. It is uh, really, I've, I felt a burden in the last uh, little while that in our day to day, we, we saw some of us went to a movie the other night about uh, the... Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the poet, during the Civil War years, and his, he wrote uh, the hymn, the Christmas uh, carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And it was uh, uh, the story about how that, that Christmas carol was written and everything that he went through and his family went through up until the time that he wrote that, that hymn. And what, what a blessing it was to hear that. But as I watched that, and I, it's not just then that I thought this, but... but I've thought it several times. When you see 
the record of a person's life that lived long ago. This man lived during the Civil War. There are others that lived longer than that who show us great skill and intelligence and giftedness that God used in a great way. And I look at that and I have to think, what happened? What happened in the days when you had people like Longfellow or you go back in history and you see others, great writers and artists and musicians and composers and people like that, that God gifted uh, to do uh, great works for his glory. They were just, they had an intelligence level that is well beyond anything we know today. I mean, just almost like they're a different form of of life, you know, compared to people today. Uh, a great, people were geniuses, you know. Um, and they, uh, uh, some of them, you know, you know, Mozart wrote his first symphony, what, Chris, when he was three, four, four years old, okay? Um, we don't see things like that today, not very often, do you? It's not very common. And I got to thinking, what has happened to the world today? If you, if you look at the news for, for one evening and you see just one terrible report after another, you just have to ask that question, what in the world happened? And I think I nailed it down. There were two brothers many years ago, John and Charles Wesley, started the Wesleyan denomination, which developed into Methodist Church and other churches also came out of their work. Uh, over the years out of the Reformation time and they were from England and the Wesleys did something that their mother instilled in them Susanna Wesley instilled in them that we don't do today and I think it is the answer to the question I just asked what happened the Wesleys focused almost everything in their ministry and Charles Wesley wrote thousands of hymns okay they, they had something in their life that they focused on that we don't focus on so much today. But you've heard me talk about it, and I talk about it for a reason. They focused on prayer and the Bible. Just those two basic, fundamental building blocks of who we are, of the church. They focused on prayer and the Bible. They felt like they had been given a responsibility to learn what was contained in the pages of this book. To learn it to the point that God could use them to declare that message. They spent a great deal of time in prayer, and I'm talking about hours and hours and hours in prayer, because they knew they could not do that which they had been called to do without the help of God. They couldn't do it on their own. And so they prayed and they focused on scripture. And then from that, God grew a great work. They're not the only ones like that. There are many throughout history that, that did the same thing. And yet, those are the two things that we neglect the most today. We see as really not that important. I don't have time for it. I got other stuff to do. Or preacher, after 30 years of being a Christian, I just don't know what's in that book. Wow. You know, and then I now I spend a lot of time with other pastors and and sometimes we'll sit down and we'll meet about and talk about what can we do to better reach our community. And it has come to me, I guess, in my latter years uh, of my ministry to understand that if we want to reach the world, we've got to focus on the word of God. We've got to focus on the story contained in the text. 
And we've got to do it prayerfully and depend on the power and presence of God. After that, God will work it out. But we've got to focus on those two things above everything else. You know, they, they tell us that if you want to grow your church, if you want to strengthen your ministry, if you want to grow your ministry, to be intentional about your ministry to say uh, there are one or two things that we are going to do and we're going to focus intentionally on those things and that's that's the goal of our ministry folks prayer and bible study has got to intentionally be the focus of what we do as a church because i believe with all my heart that if we don't focus on those two things god can't use us he has no use, no need for us, okay? If we won't focus on prayer, depending on him and his word, what did he say? We are about the business of serving and worshiping and glorifying him, aren't we? Isn't that why we're here? It makes sense to me. You know, it's amazing just how practical and logical the scriptures and the gospel is. Just read it. Apply it. Pray about it. And God will do great things. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be in the ministry. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't even be a part of a church. Why would I want to be part of something that man can do? I can go, there are myriads of organizations out there I can be a part of that are just examples of what people can do. I want to be a part of something that only God can do. And it, it makes sense to me that I've got to let go. I've got to not focus so much on what can I do or, or what new idea do I have and focus on the Word of God and spend more time in prayer. And that's got to be, in, we're about to start a new year, that's got to be the intentional focus of who we are and what we want to do. Because if we're not doing that, the rest of it's just a futile effort. Okay? Prayer and the Bible. And I, uh, Eugene Harbaugh and I were talking about it one time. If you focus on the Scripture, look at the Scriptures like a garden. And God grows a crop, a harvest from that garden of his own word. His own word. If we'll focus on the word, God will bless what is done. So, we need to know the story. So, this morning, I want to look at just one section of scripture very quickly in the New Testament and go way back in Genesis. Because at Christmas time... We want to begin the idea of understanding just who is Jesus as he's revealed in the scripture. As he's revealed in the word of God. Looking at Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing this letter to the church that is probably his favorite church of all the ones that he, he worked in and he established. This is likely the, the favorite church of the apostle Paul. And I just want to look at the first four verses to begin a foundational understanding of who Jesus is. And then we'll go back to Genesis in a moment and look at a story, a great story in Genesis that we're going to see part of today and the second part next week. And it is so attached to the idea of Christmas. You may, you may say, well, at Christmas time I want to hear about you know, the birth of Jesus and all that. Yeah, and that's good. And we will eventually, but you got to get there first, you know. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints, believers, who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Look at that verse alone. Just that. This is just the beginning introduction of this letter. And, and look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you understand as believers all the things that God has done for you? Do you understand the great blessings that he has given to you through your salvation, by your redemption, by the finished work of his son on the cross? Do you really grasp all of that that God has done? He said, blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in heaven. In heaven. He's done such a great act for us that in heaven itself we're blessed. How am I blessed in heaven? Through the work of his son. Through what his son did on the cross. I now have a restored, a redeemed, a right relationship with the father. Because what the son has done. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and then he adds those words in Christ because without Christ you don't have any of that it's all in him so this idea of understanding who Jesus is that is what we're about everything we are everything we believe every hope we have every bit of faith we have is focused on the person of Jesus Christ and without him nothing nothing but condemnation sin and judgment and death he's everything and in verse 4 he says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love now that verse is so powerful I just want to we'll, we'll move to the Old Testament in just a moment just looking there at verse 4 folks you know we, we've used the term throughout my Christian life I always heard this when we were talking about Israel and the Jews, they're God's what kind of people? God's what? God's chosen people. We've used that term throughout our Christian experience, right? And, and that was long before we were ever in this world. That term was used to describe the Jews. God's chosen people. There's a covenant established between God and his people. That covenant is based on the idea of God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And God established that covenant in Abraham. We're going to go back and look at him in just a moment. That is that covenant established in Abraham. If you obey, if you follow me, you serve me, I will be your God. You will be my people. That covenant agreement. But it didn't end with Abraham. It went all the way through the Old Testament. And guess what? It is fulfilled in the New Testament. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross as the final ultimate sacrifice for our sin to carry out the covenant for the whole world. That in Christ, in Christ, get this, you and I were chosen just like the Jews. God doesn't have two sets of people. He's got one, per one group of people, one called out people in the world that he has called out 
to serve him, worship him, and honor him. One people, and they are called out to worship him by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I've used that term four times this morning already. I want you to get that. Jesus established the relationship with the Father that we have. And it was established before you were ever a thought. Really, it was established before this world existed. Before the foundation of the world, the scriptures say, God established the covenant, the agreement, the foundation, the redemption of mankind. God established that before there ever was a world, before there was ever a heaven or anything. God established our redemption. Now, now folks, if you're not excited about that, I don't think anything will turn you on. If you're, not, if you're not just encouraged about the fact that God Almighty did the work of salvation before there was a heaven or earth, eternally before. I, I was looking up on, uh, online just to do a little research. There's some websites you can go to to get commentaries and stuff. And somebody asked this question, what did God do before creation? And Google tries to answer it. Now, Google sometimes, they know a lot of stuff. They just didn't know this because they were completely wrong the way they answered. But the question was asked, what did God do before creation? And the answer from Google was, or I guess whoever does the online stuff, the answer was nothing. We do anything before. Well, that flies in the face of what Paul just wrote here. You see, before the foundation of the world, God had you on his mind. Before the foundation of the world, God was doing everything that had to be done. I believe the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was doing all that needed to be done to call out a people for the glory of God. A believing people a people that would serve him, a people that would honor him, a people that would glorify him and worship him. God was calling out a people. And you're part of that. Every believer is part of that. That was God's eternal plan. We think about eternity as being something that happened yet, hasn't happened yet. I want you to think about eternity as something that's already happened. You know, God existed eternally before we were ever here. And contrary to what Google may think, God had a lot going on, okay? He did quite a lot. And, and the, the focus of most of it was you. Was you. And so for his glory, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and chosen us before the foundation of the world. What a blessing that is. Now, go back with me, if you would, to Genesis. We can go all the way back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 18. Chapter 18. We're going to look at this chapter this morning, and then we'll continue the story next week. There's a lot going on in Genesis 18 and chapter 19. Um, the, the birth of Isaac, the, uh, or the announcement of the birth of Isaac, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the two major things going on in these two chapters. When we look at it, um, you say, well, what in the world does this have to do with, with Christmas? Remember this, the message of Christmas is the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. And it started before there was a heaven or an earth. 
what we just read out of Ephesians. Before the foundation of the world, the gospel was in action. And here all the way back to Abraham, we're going to see pictures of the coming Jesus. And beautiful, some of it, all of it really. Uh, but uh, just want to read through here. Chapter 18, we'll read through and make mention of text as we go through here. Then the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, uh, by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread. Uh, that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant and we'll stop there for just a moment we'll continue on here in a minute we'll just stop there for a moment look what's happened here abraham is just sitting out here in this at this tree and three men appear to him uh, we find out as we read through the story two of them are angels folks let me tell you something i love our christmas tree but angels didn't look like that they do not look like that. In fact, if you saw an angel, you would probably run in terror, okay, if you saw one because they're, they're just beyond anything that we can imagine. But they're, they're seen as two men here, and if you see what they're going to do in the next chapter, they're great, powerful, heavenly beings created by God. They're not gods. They're creations of God, just like you are. But their place is to, and their creation is to be a messenger. That's really what the word angel refers to, the fact that they're messengers. And also uh, servants of God, okay, declaring his glory. So they show up and then there's a third person. Well, who was that third person? Well, that third person was Jesus. Well, how do you know that was Jesus? Well, because, I, number one, I believe in the Trinity, okay? I'm a Trinitarian Christian. You are too, I hope. You believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit because he's a spirit. He's invisible, right? You know what? You can't see God the Father because he's invisible too. Nobody's ever seen God. You know what God told Moses one time? Moses said, I want to see you. And God said, no man can see me and live. Okay? So nobody's seen God. Nobody's seen the Holy Spirit. Only one we've seen is Jesus. When you see me, you've seen the Father, he says. So Jesus is the full revelation of God the Father. So this is Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, shows up to talk to Abraham. Abraham apparently understood something of the process here because he uses the word Lord when he talks to him. And he's not saying Lord like you would a king or somebody like that. He's saying Lord like you would to God because the Hebrew word is a word that was used for God. Out of the many different titles that used for God. And so he says Lord. And it actually says in verse 1 as the Lord appeared. But, it, but he says Lord uh, if I have now found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Stay around a while. Abraham desired greatly that the Lord would stay with him a while. Wouldn't you? You know, I mean, if you think about just who the Lord is out of his glory and his greatness and everything about him, 
you would desire to be in his presence. You know what? One of the worst things about the final judgment is going to be on the lost when they realize that they can no longer be in the, in the presence of God the way they could have been if they had been saved. Heaven and hell is certainly a big part of that, but it's the very fact that they're going to be driven away from the presence of God for all eternity. Here Abraham desired that the father would just stay with him. Just spend some time here. If I found favor in your sight, stay a while. Now we believe that God is omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. That's one of his abilities. But here the visible presence of God in the person of Jesus. Sit down and stay a while. You know the, the two men on, on the road to Emmaus? After the resurrection, after Jesus disappeared, when they realized who he was, they said, didn't our, our hearts burn within us as he spoke? They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him to stay. We don't know how long he stayed with them. It was just a big part of the day. And they desired him to stay. They wanted him to, to be there with them. Here, Abraham, the same thing. Don't you want to be with the Lord? Well, you know, I believe, again, I do believe that everybody inwardly we want that we want to be with the lord we want to be in his presence we would like for him to be in our presence we want to have a relationship with him we but when we sin what happened to adam and eve when they sinned they hid themselves from the father they didn't want to be around him because sin stood between them now abraham sees the father and will you stay Verse 4, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. He's going to prepare a, a, a meal or something for, for the Lord Jesus and these two angels. Y'all sit down, let me go get, water's a big deal out here in the desert, okay? Let me bring that and, and for you. And then verse 6, so Abraham hurried into the tent uh, to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal. And knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, uh, took a tender and good calf, gave it to, the, to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now look at everything he does here. He goes to his wife and he says, bake bread. Now think about it a moment. You don't do that quickly. All right. It's going to take a little while, right? And you know, it's not like she had a mix like we would go to the grocery store and get. She had to get the flour and the wheat and whatever and make it, okay? And then cook it. So this is going to take a little while. And if that's not long enough, he goes and he gets a calf and he tells one of his servants, cook it. Well, that's going to take a little while, too. The calf's still walking around. So I've got to do something to get the calf prepared so I can cook it over a fire so we can bring it and serve it to them. They're going to be with him for the afternoon. They're going to be with him for a while. This is going to take a while, and this is how they lived in that day. He's invited them to come in to be his guest. He's going to serve them, but great preparation is going to go into serving the Lord. Abraham knows who this is, and he's terribly excited about it. He's going to go to great effort to do something for him. And as I read that, I have to think, how much effort do I go put forth to serve him? To serve him. You know, that ought to be the greatest focus of our lives. Of everything that we do in life should just be insignificant compared to what we do to serve our Lord. 
What will I do? How much trouble will I go to to spend a little time with the Lord? Will I spend enough time to pray today? Will I spend enough time to read his word today? Those two most important things we can do. How much time will I devote to that one thing that I can spend a little time with the Lord today? Okay, then, then they said to him, verse 9, Where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. She's right there. She's cooked bread for you. She's right there. And he said, I, he said, I will certainly return to you, he being Jesus. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, uh, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed with herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why is she laughing? Shall I surely, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And verse 14, so important, is anything too hard for the Lord? What a question. The Lord himself asked Abraham, is anything too hard do, do you understand when, you're pray, when you pray you're talking to the one that can answer you? You're talking to the one that has the authority and the power and the ability to do anything he wants. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, no, nothing is too hard for him. He can do his will. At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I didn't laugh. Well, of course it, I, I didn't laugh what? For she was afraid, and he said, no, but yeah, you did laugh. You know, the Lord knows our weak faith sometimes. He understands. He said, yeah, you laughed. But he didn't change anything, did he? Because it won't be long, and she'll have a son. Here's the announcement of a son. Long before Jesus, you see Christmas, okay? Long before Jesus is ever, ever uh, born, Here's the announcement of another son, a promised son, to an old couple that can't have children any longer. And the Lord tells him, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. His name was Isaac, wasn't it? You know what his name means? His name actually means laughter because his mother laughed. Okay. And that was his name, laughter. You're going to have a son. So, so what a great, here is Christmas right here, early, early, early in the Old Testament, here's a hint of what is yet to come. Now Isaac, you know, Abraham had been told, you're going to be the father of a great nation. He didn't have any children. He's trying to figure out, how am I going to be the father of a great nation? I don't have any children. And then God says, I'm going to give you a son. So the promise is given there, isn't it? The promise of God's, God's will being worked out, the promise of, of a great blessing. Christmas. The promise. You see, later we'll be told that she will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. See, a great promise for a coming son. It, this is a picture of that. Well, then we're going to see the need for this coming son. Read on a little further. 
Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? It's kind of like the Lord looked at, at Abraham and said, You want me to tell you what I'm getting ready to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So he said, Since I'm going to make you a great nation, do you want me to tell you what I'm getting ready to do? Now, first, Abraham is just in shock from the fact that he's told he's going to have son at his age. But now the Lord's saying, I'm doing more. Let me tell you about it. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord uh, may bring Abraham, bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. The Lord said, I've known you that you're going to raise your children to and your household after you to keep the way of God. But there, there's, the, there's the Lord's only will for you and your family, that you raise your family after you to keep the way of the Lord. That's what he desires for your home. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. That verse is something for us to think, really think about because, you know, in the la in last several years, we have unwittingly, unknowingly told some people something about God that wasn't true. Here it is. We have told people that God cannot see or look upon sin. Have you ever told anybody that? Or have you ever heard anybody tell you that or tell somebody else that? That God cannot look upon sin. He cannot see sin. Well, that's not true. God saw sin when he flooded the world and put Noah and his family on an ark. He saw the sin and responded to it. And right here. He said, I'm going down to Sodom. I'm going down there. And he said, uh, verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me i have seen their sin now why is that so important for me to say folks the lord sent jesus because he understood the sin condition of the world he knows what we're in he knows what we live through he knows what sin is he sees it he, he's aware of it you can't hide it and the world can't hide it. We're sinning today as if God's not looking. But understand this. He is absolutely aware of every action that humanity takes, even the sinful ones. Absolutely aware. And he sees it and he responds to it. We think that sin goes on and God doesn't even look. But that's just not biblically true. Sin happens. Rebellion against God happens. And one of two things is going to happen. Hope and redemption or judgment that's it but don't think for a minute that God didn't see it he did he's completely aware of it and we live today like we think we're hiding it 
We may be hiding it from each other. My goodness, we may be hiding it from ourselves. But understand this, you're not hiding it from God. He's absolutely aware of every action. Verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Lord, you won't kill Everybody, if there's 50 righteous people in this big city, and it must have been a big city, if there's at least 50 righteous there, won't you spare the city for that? Far be it from you that the Lord would, would not do good, that the Lord would do right. We know, Lord, that shall the judge of the earth do right. We know that. So, Lord, will you forgive them for 50? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the places. For their sakes. Yes, Abraham, I'll spare it for 50. Abraham is interceding. Why is he interceding? Because he's got family down there. He's got people he loves that live down there in all that sin. Do we do the same? Could we not be like Abraham and intercede for our loved ones who are in sin? So the Lord said, verse 26, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? How about 45, Lord? Because, Lord, I really don't have a lot of faith in them either. There might not be 50. Let's go for 45. So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And so he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, but I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. It's interesting to me that in all of this bargaining, God never judged Abraham. Abraham kept talking. Listen, I believe God wants us to intercede. He's doing that. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. See, he got to ten, and I believe the Lord knew. Because how many got out? Three. Only three will actually get out of Sodom. Out of all those. Abraham bargained all the way down to ten, and there weren't ten righteous people in the whole city. Only three. And the Lord went and he goes and Abraham returned back to his home.
the next chapter we'll look at next week will reveal what happened. We know what happened, but there's some great truths contained in this story that really have a lot to do with Christmas. But Abraham asked the Lord about ten, and the Lord said, For ten I will spare it. And then he left, and you say, Well, what is here about the gospel? Here it is. The Lord is bigger than our sin. The Lord desires repentance. Turn to him. This is not the beginning of the story with Sodom. This has been going on a while. The Lord desires people to repent and turn to him. And in a world that we live in today with all of the sin that, I don't know that there's more sin. I think man's always been sinful. I just think we see it much more today because of television, the internet, and other things. We see the sin. We know it's out there. We know that it, it's even at our doors. The sin is right there. But don't just give up. Abraham prayed, interceded, went to the Father on behalf of the people. Some of them his loved ones. You see, Lot's his nephew. That's his family down there in the midst of all of that. And you know what's on Abraham's mind? I've got family down there. I love them and I don't want them to die. I don't want them to be judged eternally by God for this, for this terrible sin. Lord, will you let them go? And then the Lord says for the sake of ten, but only three got out. But let's just remember who the three were. His nephew and his two daughters. You say, well, what about his wife? She didn't get far. You remember that? We'll talk about that next week. But here's the point. God is bigger than our sin. You know, Lot had been there for a while. His family had been there for a while. You know some of that had rubbed off on him. You can't be around that kind of sin and it don't rub off on you. Abraham, uh, Lot was not the best of men, to be sure. And we see as the story goes on, he was. But God promised Abraham. And God rescued and redeemed and brought Lot and his daughters out of that mess. Out of that sin. So I'll tell you today, you've got loved ones that are perhaps in sin. There's something going on in their lives that maybe none of us knows about. Maybe we do. But there's sin there. They're in danger of judgment. They're in danger of destroying themselves and their families and everyone they associate with by the sin in their life. Don't give up on them. You pray. You go to the Lord because God is bigger than their sin. The cross is all about their sin. And Merry Christmas, the manger is all about their sin. God came to deal with their sin. God came to save his people. So you continue praying for your loved ones. You can continue praying for a lost world because Christmas is about God reaching our loved ones, those lost people that are out there. And I'll just put my faith in him. What about you? You know, I would, uh, I, I believe that everybody here this morning is a saved person. I pray you are, hope you are. But if you're not, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And we want to make sure that you trusted Christ. And what he did for your own salvation. Because folks, if you don't have it straight, 
How are you going to help anybody else? Okay. But we'll make sure. But let's pray. Father God, we see this story and we realize that um, your will is to redeem mankind, but mankind must respond by faith, repent of our sin, and turn back to you. And Father, we all have loved ones just like Abraham's family that was in the midst of sin. We have loved ones today that are in the same situation. We pray, Father, for their deliverance. Lord, I pray for your mercy in their lives, that you would forgive them and bring them to salvation. Father, sometimes their sin is just completely beyond our control. We're going to put them in your hands and trust that you will reach them. Lord, we ask that you would help us to make sure that our own salvation has been taken care of, that we have trusted you and turned away from sin and we're following after Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation, I surrender all, number 275. You come as the Lord would lead, number 275. <laughs>